Section 35 of Stories from the Operas by Gladys Davidson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Beth Thomas. Verdi's Rigoletto. During the 16th century, there reigned over the fair city of Mantua a handsome young duke, whose brilliant court was one of the gayest and most licentious of its age. For the youthful ruler cared little for the responsibilities of state, and, instead of seeking the welfare of his people, he chose to gather around him a band of careless nobles of his own age, and to pass his time amidst the excitements of wild excesses and love intrigues susceptible ardent and inconstant his amours were frequent passionate and short and there was scarcely a lady at his court not to mention various pretty maidens of more humble birth with whom he had not at some time or other fancied himself in love in all his intrigues the duke was constantly aided by his jester rigoletto a hunchback who was the most privileged person at court for beneath the cap and bells the buffoon possessed a fertile scheming brain that never failed to devise cunning ruses to gratify the lawless passions of his unscrupulous master for this reason rigoletto had gained many enemies for besides exciting the jealousy of the courtiers by making himself the favourite of their royal master he was also hated by many haughty nobles whose honour had been assailed by his intrigues the jealous lords constantly vented their spleen upon the hated jester by scornful taunts and slights all of which rigoletto returned with interest making the proud courtiers the subjects of his spiteful wit and stinging raillery whilst inwardly he triumphed in a joy they knew naught about for rigoletto had a beautiful daughter named gilda whom he loved passionately and fearing lest the maiden's loveliness should lead to the ruin of her innocence he had ever kept her existence a secret even from his most intimate acquaintances to this end on coming to mantua he placed her in a humble house in a quiet part of the city under the care of her old nurse giovanna and every evening after dark he went to receive the sweet caresses of this darling child a stolen happiness that more than compensated him for the scorn of his enemies little did the poor jester guess that the precious treasure he guarded so lovingly was doomed to become the prey of the very person whose notice of her he most dreaded his royal master yet it was so ordained for every morning Gilda attended matins in the neighbouring church, and here she was at length seen by the young duke, who quickly became enamoured of her beauty. Every day he stole into the church to watch her at her devotions, and Gilda, though she scarcely dared return the ardent glances bestowed upon her by the handsome cavalier, soon felt an answering thrill in her own heart. Yet, fearing her father's anger, she kept this new sweet joy a secret and since the duke did not need his favourite's help in such a simple enterprise it came about that rigoletto remained in ignorance that his happiness was at stake but in spite of the care he took his secret visits to the humble house at length became known to the jealous courtiers and this discovery was made soon after the duke had first seen gilda at church one evening a splendid entertainment was being held at the ducal palace and in an anteroom a group of courtiers freshly smarting under the spiteful wit of rigoletto were gathered together venting their grievances and listening to the special complaints of one of their number count soprano whose pretty wife was for that evening the duke's plaything thanks to the machinations of the hated jester 
While they were talking angrily together, they were joined by another noble named Marullo, who declared that he had great news for them, and in answer to their eager questions, he told them he had discovered that Rigoletto had a sweetheart, since he went nearly every evening after dark to pay a visit at a humble house in a certain quiet street, a sure sign that his mistress dwelt there. The courtiers all laughed derisively at the idea of the ugly hunchback being in love, but Soprano, seeing in the incident a means of revenging himself upon the scheming jester, quickly proposed a plan to them. He suggested that they should repair to the humble dwelling pointed out by Marullo, and forcing an entrance, carry off the fair lady who dwelt therein, and by this means they would punish the hunchback for the insults he had piled upon them. The courtiers eagerly fell in with the plan, and having promised to meet Soprano late next evening in order to carry out the enterprise, they returned to the brilliant salon. Here, dancing, feasting, and merriment were being indulged in with an utter absence of restraint, for it was the delight of the Duke of Mantua to pursue his pleasures with an extravagant recklessness. But suddenly the revels were strangely interrupted, for after a loud altercation with the servitors at the door, who tried vainly to detain him, an uninvited guest dashed through the careless throng in the salon, and quickly made his way to the spot where the duke was standing. The intruder was an aged noble, the Count of Monteroni, whose beautiful daughter had lately been stolen from her home to gratify the evil passion of the libertine duke, and in a voice trembling with scorn and anger, the outraged father demanded the restoration of his child, calling down vengeance upon her betrayer. But Monteroni's appeals and threats were drowned in derisive laughter, and the Duke, impatient at such an unpleasant interruption to the revels, instantly ordered his guards to imprison the Count in a cell beneath. Rigoletto, taking up his cue from his master's humour, made merry over the poor father's despair, and uttered mocking quips at his expense. But soon he regretted his words, for as Monteroni was being led away by the guards, he turned upon the jester and cursed him with great fury. Now, Rigoletto was very superstitious, and so was filled with fear as he realised that a father's curse had fallen upon him, and though the revels went on as before, the incident took such a hold on his imagination that he felt some terrible woe was in store for him. Late next night, these disturbing thoughts were still in the jester's mind as he hastened towards the humble abode of his beloved daughter, and when he was presently accosted by a begging bravo, he stopped to converse with him, thinking that he might have occasion later on for the services of some such desperate rogue. The bravo, who gave his name as Sparafucile, declared that for gold he would dispose of any enemy who lay in the jester's path, stating that his abode was an outlying lonely inn, where intended victims were easily lured by the attractive looks of his pretty sister, a gypsy girl named Maddalena. Having agreed to seek the bravo's aid should he need it, Rigoletto hurried into the courtyard of his house, and here he found the beautiful Gilda already waiting for him with her attendant Giovanna. Now Gilda had been kept in complete ignorance of her father's name and profession, and tonight, after greeting him with her usual joyful embraces, she begged him to reveal his true identity, being weary of the mystery that so constantly surrounded her. But Rigoletto firmly refused her plea, gently bidding her to love him only and ask no questions, and then he turned to Giovanna, sternly demanding whether she guarded her charge with the strictness he had commanded. Gilda trembled at this question, remembering the gallant whom she met each day at church, and whose admiring glances had aroused love in her heart. 
but Giovanna, less fearful, boldly answered her master's question and assured him that he had no cause for alarm. Then Rigoletto bade his daughter a loving farewell and departed, for he never dared to remain long with her, for fear his absence from court should be noticed. No sooner had he gone than the young Duke of Mantua suddenly appeared in the courtyard, having at last discovered the abode of his new love, and determined to seek an interview with her that night. And rushing forward, he clasped Gilda in his arms, declaring that he loved her. Giovanna, having secretly received a purse of gold from the Duke upon his entrance, quietly departed into the house, and the pair were thus left alone in the courtyard. Gilda was at first alarmed at finding herself alone with the stranger, whom she quickly recognised as the handsome cavalier whose ardent glances had thrilled her at morning devotions. But, utterly unable to resist the passionate wooing of the Duke, she at length submitted willingly to his caresses, and admitted that she loved him in return. The cunning gallant described himself as a poor scholar, who would nevertheless make a humble home for her, and Gilda was filled with rapture at the thought that no barrier of rank would thus separate her from her lover. Presently, approaching footsteps in the street beyond warned them that this sweet interview must end, and the Duke, fearful of discovery, bade the maiden a hasty but passionate farewell, and quickly hurried away. Then Gilda, gazing lovingly after his retreating figure, reluctantly entered the house, but not before she had been seen by the newcomers, who were none other than Count Soprano, Marullo, and their companion plotters, who, masked and cloaked, had come to carry out the plan of vengeance on Rigoletto which they had arranged the night before. They were astonished at the beauty of the jester's supposed mistress, but ere they had time for further comment on the matter, they were suddenly confronted by Rigoletto himself, who, being uneasy in his mind, had returned to take another look at his daughter's sanctuary. Marullo, quickly seeing additional zest for their scheme in this unlooked-for interruption, gaily accosted the jester, and making himself known, invited him to join in their enterprise, for to deceive the poor hunchback further, he declared that they were about to carry off the wife of Count Soprano, and take her to the duke. Rigoletto, thus imagining that his own secret treasure was not sought, quickly fell into the trap, for Soprano's palace was situated on the opposite side of the street, a circumstance which gave credence to the story, and delighted to assist in bringing dishonour upon one of his most hated enemies, he readily agreed to join the ravishers. Marullo then declared that since the others were all masked, Rigoletto must also have his face hidden and seizing a scarf, he bound it so tightly over the jester's eyes and ears that he could neither see nor hear. Next, he made his victim hold the ladder they had brought against the wall of his own house, and then he and his companions, hardly able to restrain their mirth at the trick they were playing, climbed up to an open window above and made their entry. Rigoletto, holding the ladder below, still imagined that it was his enemy's house that was being entered, and when the ravishers presently returned, bearing Gilda in their arms, he rejoiced, thinking that the victim was Soprano's wife. His hearing being dulled by the tight bandages over his ears, he did not catch the stifled cries of the poor girl as she was quickly borne away, and it was not until the maskers were far out of his reach that he discovered he had been left alone. Then, tearing off his bandage with difficulty, he saw that the latter was leaning against the wall of his own house, and realising the cruel trick that had been played upon him, he was filled with rage and despair. He rushed madly down the street toward the palace, trembling for the fate of his beloved child, and forcing his way to the anteroom adjoining the duke's private chamber, he found his enemies already there. 
for the plotters had immediately brought their prize in triumph to their royal master, declaring her to be the mistress of Rigoletto, and the duke had received her with joy on recognising the lovely features of his own new lady-love. When Rigoletto reached the ante-room, he passionately demanded to have his precious daughter restored to him, being filled with woe on learning that she was even now in the power of the duke. But the courtiers, though astonished to know that she was his child, only met him with derisive laughter, utterly disregarding his frantic appeals for mercy. But at that moment, Gilda herself rushed forth from the duke's room and flung herself in her father's arms, having heard his voice in the anteroom. And as the jester quickly hurried her away, she poured forth into his ears the whole story of her infatuation for the handsome cavalier who had admired her in church, of his visit to her that evening, and of her despair on now discovering him to be but a base libertine, who only desired to use her as his plaything. Yet even in spite of this knowledge, the poor girl loved him still and when Rigoletto swore vengeance on the false betrayer, she entreated him to spare her lover, whom she had already forgiven for the wrong he had done her. But Rigoletto's anger against his royal master was so furious that nothing but death would satisfy his longing for revenge, and quickly sending for Sparafucile, the bravo, he bargained with him for a sum of gold to entice the duke to his lonely inn and murder him there. A few days later, Sparafucile returned, saying that his sister, Maddalena, had already brought herself before the duke's notice, and enticed him into a promise to visit the inn that evening, when his murder would be easily accomplished during the night. And Rigoletto determined to take Gilda to the spot also, that he might convince her of her base lover's faithlessness, and so cure her infatuation for him. So when dusk fell, the jester and his daughter quickly made their way to a wild spot on the outskirts of the city, and on arriving at the Bravo's lonely inn, Rigoletto drew the maiden into the shadows near a window, from whence they could see and hear all that took place in the room beyond. A few minutes later they saw the duke, in disguise, enter the inn, and as Sparafucile left the room after serving the guest with wine, his pretty gypsy sister Madalena took his place. The duke at once began to make love to the girl, who, however, only laughed and teased him in return. And when Gilda thus saw for herself how soon her fickle gallant had forgotten her, and heard him utter the same sweet love speeches to the gypsy girl that he had whispered into her own delighted ears only a few evenings ago, she was filled with deepest grief. Rigoletto, seeing that his daughter was at last convinced of her lover's faithlessness, was now eager to get her away from the inn, not wishing her to know of the tragic end in store for the false betrayer, and bidding her hasten home at once, he told her to disguise herself in the garments of a youth, which he had provided for her, and then fly on horseback to Verona, where he would meet her later on. At first, Gilda could not bring herself to leave the spot, but when her father sternly repeated his command, she hurried away at once to obey his will. Sparafucile now came out to learn his final instructions, and Rigoletto told him that after murdering the duke, he was to place the dead body in a sack that it might be ready for him to throw into the river Mincino that flowed close by. He then gave the bravo half the money agreed upon between them, and promising to return at midnight with the remainder of the money, when he should expect to find the deed accomplished, he departed. Throughout the evening, the unsuspecting duke amused himself with the pretty decoy Madalena and the gypsy girl at length became so fascinated with him that she could no longer bear to think of taking his life, and a feeling of pity for his fate took sudden hold of her heart. 
She was therefore filled with repulsion when her brother next appeared, and invited the guest to retire to rest in the upper chamber set apart for him. And when, after a last tender glance at her, the duke had mounted the rickety stairs, and stretched himself on the couch above, she besought Sparafucile to spare the young man's life, declaring that she felt a tender interest in him. But Sparafucile muttered angrily that the hunchback's gold was more to him than the gay cavalier's life, and it was not until Madalena again passionately implored him with tears in her eyes to grant her request that he at length agreed on a compromise. He promised to spare the cavalier only on condition that some other stranger called at the inn before midnight whom he could slay instead and pass off to the hunchback as his victim. And with this, Madalena was forced to be content, though she felt little hope of gaining her wish, since it was a stormy night, and no strangers were likely to call. Now the whole of this conversation between the brother and sister had been overheard by Gilda, for though she had been to her home and changed her garments for male attire, according to Rigoletto's orders, she had been unable to resist the temptation to return to the inn, that she might look once again upon the features of the man she still loved so dearly. She arrived just in time to hear the gypsy girl pleading for the life of the duke, and realising that he was about to be murdered, she was overcome with horror. But on hearing the condition by which he might yet be saved, a wild enthusiasm filled her heart, and she resolved heroically that since her own life was ruined by a hopeless passion, she would sacrifice herself for the sake of her faithless lover. Having commended her soul to heaven, she calmly approached the door and knocked and instantly there was a dead silence within. Madalena trembled on hearing the sound, but Sparafucile drew his dagger, and upon a second knock being heard, he flung open the door and fiercely stabbed the supposed youth standing there. Gilda fell to the ground without a single word, and hastily producing a sack, the brother and sister fastened the body within it. It was now midnight, and a few minutes later Rigoletto entered, and paying down the remainder of the money promised, demanded his victim. Sparafucile produced the sack, and, not wishing his trick to be discovered, suggested that the body should immediately be thrown into the river, and offered his assistance for this purpose. Rigoletto, however, declined the offer, desiring to gloat over his victim alone, and when the bravo had reluctantly relinquished the sack, he dragged it a few yards distant, and then sat down to rejoice over his fallen enemy but at that moment he heard the sound of a voice singing in the upper chamber of the inn, for the duke had been awakened by the talking below and was now indulging in gay snatches of song. Instantly recognising the voice as that of the duke, Rigoletto was filled with amazement and angry disappointment, and furious at having been thus cheated of his prey, he tore open the sack, and by the light of the moon beheld the beloved features of his own beautiful daughter. Horror-struck, the poor hunchback lifted his child in his arms and wildly implored her to speak to him once again, and Gilda, who was still breathing, opened her eyes and murmured a few words, saying that she had willingly given her life to save that of her lover. She then sank back, dead in her father's arms, and Rigoletto, suddenly remembering the curse that had been laid upon him for having mocked at a distracted parent's grief, realised that his retribution was just and with a despairing cry of woe, fell senseless beside the prostrate body of his beloved child. End of section 35